Sorry, I just got gas bombed by Charlie. As you can see, I am not meant to be a singer. Welcome back for another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop, or the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hill, and on today's episode, we are talking about the financing of buying a house. The biggest thing you're going to purchase in your lifetime, most likely. The mortgage process. To help me break it down, I have two special guests. Jen Guile of Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation and Taylor Nedro of Flat Branch Home Loans. And I start off by botching Jen's name. Just remember, like, Street Fighter Major Guile. That's how you pronounce her last name. Anywho, they dive into the mortgage process, the different types of mortgages that are out there, and what you need to know. They say... Nothing in life is free, except for this podcast. However, I'd appreciate you dropping us a review. Five stars, by the way, is the appropriate number of stars. Before we dive right into it, I need to remind you this is for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice because I am not your advisor. However, I could be if I did my proper due diligence and evaluated your personal situation The best way to get that process started is to schedule a call with me, and you can do so by going to my website located in the show notes. That's me pointing down to the show notes, folks. Everything is in the show notes. Literally everything. One last thing. In our discussion, I mentioned United States Representative Dan Crenshaw from Texas, the Houston area. You may recognize him as the guy with the eye patch, but he's more than that. He's a former Navy SEAL and served multiple tours in combat, defending our freedom. In 2012, he lost his right eye when he was wounded by an IED explosive during his third deployment in Afghanistan. If you've ever listened to him tell the story or read his book where he describes the experience, you know he's a walking miracle with the determination and fortitude to overcome some amazing challenges. He's not a victim of his circumstances. Now, after we recorded this episode, I learned he underwent emergency surgery on his quote-unquote good eye that also sustained significant damages in the blast to hopefully fix a detached retina. This procedure is expected to leave him blind for a month with the hope that he'll still be able to see. To quote Representative Crenshaw, anyone who knows the history of my injuries knows that I don't have a good eye, but half a good eye, end quote. I wanted to send my thoughts and prayers to Representative Crenshaw and his family for a speedy recovery to the fullest extent. And now, without further ado, here's my interview with Jen and Taylor. Well, I didn't see that happening last night. Uh, The Baylor Bears winning the national championship over the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, Yeah, that was... Pretty crazy. But uh, then again, I didn't watch any of the tournament. So how about you guys, Jen and Taylor? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Kyle. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, Jen, Gile, is it Gile? It's Gile. It's Gile? It's Gile. Gile. Yeah. Gile, okay. I thought you said Gile. I was like, there's no S. You can just Um, call me Jen, Kyle. That's totally fine. 
All right. All right. Jen is a loan officer with Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation. And Taylor Nedro is a senior mortgage banker with Flat Branch Home Loans. Did you guys watch the game last night? I did. While I worked. <laughs> While you worked. Always working. Yeah. Um, yes, I did not see that coming. Uh, but then again, I didn't watch any of the tournament. Um, also, congratulations to Stanford, ladies. I think they had a more interesting game. Won, what, 54-53? Again, didn't watch any of that tournament. I watched the NCAA wrestling tournament, though. That's the only tournament I've watched. So, Whoa. yeah. Hard pass on the wrestling. <laughs> um, why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves? Um, and in my house, it's always ladies first. So, Jen. Okay. Well, um, I, like you said, am with Fairway Independent Mortgage. I have been a lender. This is my 23rd year, which is... A little crazy. It's all I've ever done, actually. I graduated from college with a psych degree, which uh, I started grad school to do and decided quickly I wanted to work. And believe it or not, psych comes in very handy in our business because it's a very emotional business, even though it's finance. There's a lot of emotions involved. So love what I do. We're 100% referral-based team. I have a small team here in Kansas City, and uh, we do business in quite a few other states. And other than that, thanks for having me on, Kyle. Glad, glad you could be on. And uh, Iowa Hawkeyes volleyball superstar, might I add, right? No. Well, I don't know if super superstar might be a stretch, but back in the day, yes, I played volleyball for the University of Iowa. Still very much root for the Hawkeyes, and um, hopefully my kids will go there someday, although our husband has been pushing K-State since they were born. So we'll see. All right. Go Cavs. <laughs> So when I was a kid, I used to think it was called volleyball. So sure. uh, your last name, it's it, I, English is a foreign language for me. So I don't know what my primary language is. But um, quick question for you. Does the number 1393 mean anything to you? 1393, no. Okay. Uh, what's your maiden, maiden name? Belle. So you are sixth all-time in kills at iowa did you go deep on the google kyle right? i did i did it's an amazing thing so you know back in the day i was athletic you were killing it don't ask me to do anything physical unless it's um drive the cart at a golf tournament and get beat <laughs> that's it so um, I was never a good volleyball player. Uh, obviously, I could not jump. But what what's the secret to the perfect kill? I had to look up and see what a kill was first of all last night. Um, yeah, you you seem like you're pretty successful. Well, I'm glad you didn't say spike because I would have had to hang up on you. So, um, what's the secret? I don't know. You either can jump really high or you have a very fast arm. I don't jump very high. Um, I don't have the physical body for jumping, but I had a very fast arm swing. So that's was why I had success there. All right. So we'll be taking lessons afterwards. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Congratulations, by the way, on your Iowa Hawkeyes winning the NCAA championships for wrestling wrestling recently. Hey man, best wrestling team of all time. I saw the other day. I said, yeah. One of my teammates sent something out that uh, they have more national championships than any other school. And wrestling. 
So. They, uh, growing up, they were the model program. So recently they've been competing with Penn State for that that, uh, that spot. But uh, so they're 125-pounder Spencer Lee. I don't know if you follow. D- does anybody outside of wrestling in Iowa, do you all follow wrestling? Um, I did not. I mean, I had friends who were wrestlers, and Dan Gable was the coach back in the day when I was going to school there. So that was pretty okay. cool. We got to hear him talk quite a bit. He'd do motivational talks for all the athletes, but no, I don't, I barely follow volleyball, Kyle. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, so, so this guy, Spencer Lee, you're 125 pounder, which, oh my God, I weigh about two of that. Right. <laughs> um, so he won his third national championship this year with a torn ACL. Wow. I don't know how that happens. Um, but, uh, amazing. It had to have been a partial tear, right? But my buddy, uh, my buddy Fisher, um, he sent me this meme of of LeBron James with says high ankle sprain out indefinitely, and LeBron James rolling around, and then it's got a picture of Spencer Lee, two torn ACLs because he tore his his other ACL a couple of years ago, wins a national championship. We are not the same. They're nuts. They used to uh, run the stairs of Carver Hawkeye Arena when we were practicing. And they'd carry the dummies on their backs up the stairs and they would just throw up in the trash cans and keep going. It's a little distracting when you're trying to practice, but you know, they're hardcore. So then basketball players are pansies. So <laughs> anywho, shots fired. All right. Well, good. Glad to have you on. Um, Taylor, tell us about yourself, man. How are you doing? Case Stater in yes. good company. Ema, go, go cats. <laughs> Um, Taylor Nedro, I'm with Flat Branch Home Loans. Been in the business for 15 years. Uh, I grew up around the business. My dad was in the mortgage business, uh, ran Bank of America's mortgage division for Kansas and Missouri. Um, so it was sort of destiny that I was going to get into it. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I've served on some local MBA boards. I was president in 2014. I'm currently the chairman of the Missouri State Bankers Association. Um, and that's kind of who I am. I've got a team here in Kansas City um, as well and uh, office here in Overland Park. And we do loans in 10 states. Uh, my team does. So Awesome. Awesome. Uh, K-Stater. And so we I was introduced to both of you um, by Tony, Tony Long. He was on the last podcast. Um, and uh, when he said your name, Taylor Nedro, I know that name. I went to college with Taylor Nedro. Um, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, I know he was in a fraternity and I was trying to remember which one. And then you told me Delta Chi. Yep. Like, that's it. I remember I, I was a house boy at the Kappa Delta sorority with a bunch of your fraternity brothers, Goose, um, yeah. Tony, Dan. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And you, um, I'm I'm pretty sure we bumped into each other over at uh, at, at our fraternity house. Um, we were probably both uh, popping some pink polo collars, oh, man. some puka shell necklaces or something. <laughs> yes. Some yeah. So, um, but I I I won an intense game of beer pong at your fraternity house. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it's I, your podcast. Uh, you can say whatever you want. Um, awesome. So. Uh, what sports did you play at K-State? 
I didn't play any sports at K-State. Uh, I mean, I did intramural wrestling. Uh, I wrestled for oh, you did? my life. Yeah, I started wrestling in fourth grade um, and wrestled all throughout high school. I was a four-year varsity wrestler. Um, oh. However, I did quit my senior year halfway through because I realized I wasn't going to get a scholarship and sort of found other extracurricular activities that were more fun. Um, what weight did you wrestle? Uh, I started in high school at 119 and I finished at 135 and I really just didn't like cutting from 142 to 135. So, um, yeah. Skinny mini. I, I wrestled uh, 80. <laughs> I'm definitely not that anymore. So no, me neither. So are we I talking about our weights now? Man. No, no, no. Let's not talk about that now. I, <laughs> I have so, not been going to CrossFit, so. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, speaking of, last episode, we were talking about, you know, how Tony has uh, gotten into owning this uh, CrossFit gym in Overland Park. And he was talking about how he's lost a lot of weight. And I said, well, you know, during COVID, I've kind of gone the other way. I've got my COVID-19. And I don't know if anybody in the audience was listening or, or what, but uh, just this past Saturday, I managed to get a uh, men's health magazine with my name on it is that you i don't subscribe to this and so i'm like wondering if somebody's out there i guess thank you if they subscribed me and gave me a gift subscription or something so maybe i guess there's kind of yeah apparently apparently i need to look like this apparently um yeah michael b jordan fit at any age so uh beef bacon pizza the 50 best foods for men i'm down Jenny, is, is your husband still going to CrossFit? I mean, I still pay for my membership, so Tony's collecting that check. Yeah. yeah, you know, we go in spurts in our family. So he's yeah. in a he's in a trying to get back into it spurt. We said we were going to start a major detox uh, Monday after Easter. We usually like to start after holidays. Mm-hmm. And I have to do that dancing thing in June. So I have about two months to get in tiny leotard costume shape and luke's gonna have to do it with me so he's gonna have to go back to crossfit and there's no more doritos in our house so so speaking of that dancing thing the people i have known that have done that they've taken some like hardcore dance lessons like are you doing that 26 26 dance lessons yes and my dancer quit so we were supposed to do this last year right my dancer quit because he had to get a real job he did not tape our dance which we learned 100 percent and so I have to start over with a new dancer and a new dance. And it's oh. June 12th. So, woo! Uh, yeah. What, what, I'm not part of the cool club. What's going Sorry, on here? Kyle. Are you doing some ballroom dancing? Is this Dancing no. with the Stars? Yeah, this is the Dancing with the Stars charity event in Kansas City. I agreed to do. It is June 12th, which is my birthday. So that'll be a fun birthday present. And, uh, you know, you have to raise money for a charity. Mine is Noah's Bandage Project, which is just a charity, local charity that I'm passionate about that helps kids uh, raise money for kids with pediatric cancer. And you raise money in part by having people come and watch you make a fool of yourself in a tiny outfit. So, yep, that's happening. Better you than me. Um, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So. Yay. Uh, Thanks Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. I used to love watching dancing with the stars. So, uh, well. There's yeah. really not stars, and I don't know if we're going to call it dancing. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. You're a star we'll, in our book. We'll invite you. <laughs> um, 
how did the Easter egg hunt go? I heard it was at your house this year. We would have made it, but we were doing our church cleanup. You know, it went really well. Um, we really weren't sure how many people would attend still being in kind of a COVID environment. Um, I think people really, really just wanted to get back to normal. And if you're someone mm -hmm. who has kids, you have pictures with the bunny every single year and then to not have a year is kind of sad. So we had, oh, over 500 people. Um, you know, at one point my husband was texting me from the driveway because he was helping kind of usher in the cars. He said, this is bleep ridiculous because he's used to having events and me having large events at our house, but this was just a touch over the top. So yeah, it was great. It was wonderful to see so many families and kids, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a large event to host at your home. So. Yeah. No kidding. Well, awesome. Sad. We missed it. And Taylor's over there. Like I'm living the good life over here. The, the, the dink life. He's golfing, man. I would think I was golfing during the Easter egg hunt. I saw the photos on Instagram. You know, I like them. <laughs> you guys, love, but I don't have any kids. So yeah. what, you want me to come find the golden eggs and take the hundred dollars from the kids? Believe go. it or not, I had two adults ask me if they could come. No children, <laughs> two adults. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so. so. Awesome. Well, we will get started with our topic. But real quick, we've got to do the uh, infamous, notorious 15 minutes of fluff with Jen and Taylor. You guys ready for it? Sure. Okay. So um, this used to be the uh, uh, rapid fire um, lightning round, but it was not fast. So it turned into five minutes of fluff and then just kind of bled into 15 minutes of fluff. Anywho, um, first question. You could live anywhere but here. Where would it be, Taylor? Go ahead. Um, Scottsdale, Arizona. Boom. Golf. I got it. There's a Jen. lot of golf courses in Scottsdale. Uh, Mexico. I love the music. I love the food. I love the people, and I need to be by the ocean. So there Mexico. you go. All right. I'll say Manhattan, Kansas. Mm. Wow. Smells like California. You need to live a little, Kyle. Just maybe live a little bit more. I'm, I'm kind of like uh, Tom Green in the movie Road Trip. He had never left Ithaca. So I was from Manhattan. I'm from Manhattan. Um, grew up in Manhattan. Stayed in Manhattan to go to college. And so... Um, you were the creepy yeah. guy in college who hangs out with the... <laughs> Is that what you're saying? I, I just love Manhattan. <laughs> so, and it's, it's crazy how it has exploded um, with growth and everything that's gone on going in there. So it's, it's, it's a lot different from when I was a child. So I don't miss um, the smell. You get that wind going. I don't miss that smell. So <laughs> that's just an added bonus. <laughs> um, all right, Jen, what was your dream job besides being a mortgage banker growing up? Because obviously you wanted to be a mortgage banker. I did. Yes. That's what I dreamt of as a little girl. Um, I really wanted to be a child psychiatrist, to be honest with you. I wanted to work with kids that, okay. yeah, have behavior disorders, and that was my dream. You can come do some pro bono work at my house. I still do it now as a mom. Yeah, just not <laughs> getting paid. So, Taylor, how about you? I wanted to um, 
be in the FBI or the Secret Service and deal with white collar crimes, some money laundering stuff. So I was actually a um, criminal justice major at K-State and uh, was going to head to law school when I got in the mortgage business. Nice. nice. So aside from being professional quarterback, assumably for the Kansas City Chiefs and owning an NFL franchise, I wanted to be a shoe designer for Nike. I was really big into shoes, um, but uh, not the case anymore. I've switched over to Under Armour. Anywho. <laughs> uh, so kind of along those lines, what is your all-time favorite pair of shoes that you own growing up? Jen. Wow. I can honestly say no one's ever asked me this question. Um, not a shoe person, so this is tough for me. Um, there was a pair of shoes that you could change out the side color. I don't remember what kind they were, but they had little, you remember what I'm talking about, Taylor? Straps? Oh, the straps? Yeah, yeah, it had like a strap, but then it had a side thing where you get five or six different inserts and you could change the color depending on your mood, sort of like a mood shoe. Hmm. Couldn't tell you what brand it was, but that was my favorite shoe, Kyle. I was going to say, those were like uh, cheerleading shoes. It came with the no. little insert that you could change the colors. Maybe. I wasn't a big cheerleader, but maybe. Okay. Okay. Taylor. Probably some like pumps or something, man. Those were awesome. You know, you pump them up and then you could jump higher, run faster. Oh, <laughs> Forgot about those shoes. So, <laughs> so are we talking about like the legit pumps, the shack pumps that you had the CO2 can that pumped them up? Because I had some thumps. No, I'm talking about the ones where bubble, had the basketball it, on the tongue that you press the basketball on and it aired it up. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Gotcha. So. When you first said pumps, I thought you meant heels, Taylor. Oh, I, 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 that's no. why I kept going. Glad uh. you clarified. Yeah. Keeping up with the times. So, um, okay. Well, so I never had a pair of Jordans, but I always wanted to own the Air Jordan 11s. Those, they had the shiny black that went around the toe and the base of uh, the foot. Um, I liked the white ones with the black, the black shiny trim. Um, but I, I always, I never had a pair though. I always had kind of a unique shoes that not everyone had. So I had uh, Gary Payton's shoes, Patrick Ewing's, Dennis Rodman's, the worm. Uh, some red Deion Sanders, Penny Hardaway. I was a big Penny Hardaway fan and multiple of his, but um, ones I probably liked the most were my uh, Big Mac, Mark McGuire, Nike Air Max 120s. They were pretty, they're gray with uh, um, uh, lime green. And I found them in East Bay because the big ones, the, the one that everybody saw, they were gray with like this sunset look to them that were really popular, but. I went off the beaten path. So um, they were practical and a good pair of shoes. And I really liked them. They were comfy. So um, sorry, the guy that wanted to be a Nike shoe designer. So what's a quote you guys live by? Taylor. Man, throwing me on the spot. If you would have given me this heads up, I probably could have had. Um, a quote I live by. I don't know. I have a lot of one-liners that I give to borrowers that my team will tell you that I say all the time, but I don't know necessarily that a quote that I live my life by. Yeah. Um, um, or a motto. Motto. I don't know. I think forgiveness is the most powerful thing a human can do. How about that? Nice. Well said. Jen, can you top that? 
I would never try to top Taylor. Um, <laughs> I have two two quotes. My one of my favorites is find a mentor and be a mentor. I think nobody gets anywhere on their own. And it wasn't until I found some of the greatest mentors in my life that I sort of found the right path, both in work and, you know, balance. And then I also like we're all broken. That's how the light gets in, Ernest Hemingway. Um, I am very genuine and pretty open. And since you scroll deep on the Google and my Facebook, you can see that. But I feel like everybody's struggling with things. And if people are willing to be authentic about it, it um, can have a deep impact on other people. So good deal. Yeah. I like the mentor quote motto. Um, I think that's something younger folks struggle with and don't know where to find a mentor. And I, I think it's an important thing. So how, how did you find your mentor? Or my mentors? mentor, my first mentor is actually the one who introduced me to Tony originally. Um, he found me, we, we were doing a transaction together um, and it was going well. It was right after I'd moved to Kansas city. So I was kind of redesigning my business at the time. So I started my business in Chicago and was there for almost the first half of it. Um, and he said, why don't I know you? And I said, I don't know. Why don't I know you? He said, you don't know me? He was like, no. He's a pretty big real estate agent in Kansas City. He said, usually your people are chasing me. And I was like, I eh, don't chase people. And anyway, he asked me to have coffee with him. And from then on out, we, we did some business together. He taught me quite a few things. He pushed me into the coaching system that I was in for years and that I'm a mentor of now. Um, introduced me to Tony and some other people that are really important in my life to this day. And, um, you know, more people have come in since then. The CEO of our company is certainly a huge mentor. He's one of the most successful people that I know, and yet humble, funny, hilarious, knows all of his people by their first name. We have 9,700 employees. And if you were to text him, he'd respond. Um, so I've been lucky to, to have, you know, many more people come into my life, but they, they kind of find you. That's what I mean by yeah. find a mentor and be a mentor. If you see somebody that you know has potential that you can get where they're going faster by sharing some of your missteps or things you've done that have worked, um, you know, I feel like that's your responsibility when you've hit a certain level of success. So Awesome. So mine would be kind of a, a Dave Ramsey. I've heard him say this and I think he pulled it from someone else, but if we help enough people, we won't have to worry about money. So, um, last, last one that I typically do and, uh, Tony threw in a bonus here. So we'll do that one last, but, uh, what would your guys' walk-up song be? Pour some sugar on me, hands down. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. I like it. She knew that one. No idea. <laughs> I mean, I always liked Anderson Silva's walkout song for the UFC. I don't know what it's called, but uh, I, uh, I I would probably pick that one. I'd have to look it up, see what it's called. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at it. I've never uh, never heard that. I've never been into MMA. Mm. UFC. So. Um, seems better than boxing, though. Um, so mine, mine, um, so fresh and so clean and I'm drawing a blank on who sings that, but, uh, uh, but we were out at, uh, Royals last week, the day before opening day, they had, uh, 
Royals warm-up where fans could come. And uh, we went and they were playing Whit Merrifield's pregame playlist, courtesy of DJ Hayden. And I heard that and I was like, oh, man, I remember this from high school. So good, good, good beat. Good uh, uh, memory lane there. So either that or uh, shut up and dance. So I feel like that gets people, people going, walking on the moon. I think my wife makes fun of me for that song, but I don't care. It's a gift. She enjoys it. Um, last one by Tony. This is his bonus question that he asks everybody. What's your favorite chip? <laughs> has, he, has he pulled that one on you? We talk about this a lot. Red Doritos would be my number one. The nacho cheese? I have a little bit of a Dorito issue, yes. And red Doritos you eat with salsa, Cool Ranch Doritos you eat with hot cheese dip. There you go. Got special mm. dips even for each of them. This is why I need to make some changes before wearing a leotard in two months. So Doritos yeah. being the number one chip. I think you're good. I think you're good, Jen. Sour cream and onion cheddar chips. Whoa. Okay. Haven't had those in like 10 years. Got to check it out again. Oh, man. I can, I can destroy an entire bag. Let's not talk about that. Okay. I know what I'm sending you if you ever make me mad. A bunch of bags of chips. So I'm going to go uh, chips and salsa, restaurant style, not chunky. Right. Because uh, I don't like tomatoes, but uh, with queso. Okay. Where's your yeah. favorite queso? Where's your favorite salsa? Oh, shit. Boom. Uh, on the borders, um, on the borders, queso is really good. And then uh, salsa. Their salsa is really good. Yeah. I mean... Salsa is hard to screw up, but uh, disagree with you, Kyle. Salsa, these are excellent or terrible. Margaritas out of the can—that's what I like to go to. But um, I'm open to options. Oh. Jalapenos, 151st Street has the best cheese dip, hands down. Oh, uh, the, really? the Rango dip, the the jalapeno dip. Okay, okay. So I'm telling you, uh, if you ever go to DeSoto. Go to El Patron. It's a little divey Mexican restaurant and a strip mall. It's everything there is legit. So best salsa, best cheese, best jalapeno margaritas. Same. Different from the El Patron down in uh, Southwest uh, Boulevard. Correct. That's our favorite place to go. Okay. But it's, so. I mean, it's very authentic, this place. It's not, okay. it's not like some of the others where, you know, they're microwaving it. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Just a tip. Kyle, that's your favorite place to go. You should look up the owner. You should do a Google search on the. Oh, owner. The, oh yeah, yeah, no, uh, the, yeah, yeah, no. I think he's uh, still it, Yeah, the food tastes good though. Yeah. Um, the food tastes good. Didn't he sell it though? Oh, he may have. I don't know. Somebody I else, because I mean, didn't he go to jail? Yeah, he's he's still in jail. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's uh. Yeah. Anywho, good stuff. Uh, that's our 15 minutes of fluff, as you can see why now. But uh, fun times. Um, so let's uh, let's let's dive into what you guys are here for. Um, I mean, I think you came for the other stuff, the fluff, but mortgages. So I was trying to figure out the statistics on this, um, and you guys uh, might be able to help me here. But looking at X percent of home purchases utilize a mortgage person purchase primary residence. I would have figured it's it's higher than, you know, 75% or more, but what do you guys ballpark idea on that? 
I mean, if you're bringing in cat, so if it's millennials, the percentage is high. Um, but if you're talking all buyers, it's probably less than 75%, especially after last year. Uh, we saw more cash buyers last year than we've ever seen. So, and depending on areas too, you know, I think like you mentioned earlier, Taylor, California, there's, there's more cash buyers perhaps than there are here in Kansas city. Where are they getting all the cash? There are a lot of foreign buyers on the California area. <laughs> right. um, so what, what, what percent of millennials kind of to what you were saying, would you say take out a mortgage buy their first home? Cause that's kind of who we're um, gearing this podcast towards is younger individuals. It's, this isn't a retirement podcast. This is geared towards younger folks who are trying to make the right steps. So they're on the right path when they get to retirement. And so I would guess majority close to 80 90 maybe even more percent of millennials that are buying their first home are taking out a mortgage yeah i think we'd both agree with you there i mean you know i don't know an exact percentage but it's definitely the majority yeah overwhelming majority then so i I think this kind of goes to you know having you guys on the show if you're if you're looking to buy a house chances are you're going to be taken out of the mortgage you know, talking to the audience we're talking to. So I guess first, just kind of dive into what is a mortgage and how does it work? And I guess my my question, I, I've Googled this the other day, is like, why do they even call it a mortgage? And I guess the word mortgage is derived from a French law term that's used in Britain in the Middle Ages during, meaning death pledge. I can't read. English is a second language. Hmm. So uh, death pledge. Death pledge um, refers to the pledge ending or dying when either the obligation is fulfilled or the property is taken through foreclosure. No fun. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Why can't we just call it a home loan? I think that's why it's called a mortgage, not a death pledge. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. know how many people would be signing up for it if it was called the death pledge. Yeah. It's kind of like life insurance. Death insurance isn't a good, very good uh, sales tactic. Um, so yeah, I guess just a basic overview of how the mortgage works, the process, um, Jen, go ahead. So if we're talking about home purchase, there's usually a real estate agent. A lot of times that's where, uh, people originate. Um, again, Tony's the one who introduced us to you. So Tony will refer a buyer to Taylor or myself. Um, they usually call him wanting to get started on the house hunting process and then he will direct them to get approved first. Oftentimes people wake up and are excited to go look at houses, but don't realize that the financing piece is perhaps just a touch more important to to determine not only if they qualify, but then what they qualify for, and then what they wanna spend based on their budget, because oftentimes people will qualify for more than what they wanna spend. So you got your real estate agent, you have your lender, um, once they're under contract, typically there's an inspector, an appraiser, title company, just to name a few. Tony said there's kind of two ways to go about it. Either hook up with a real estate. No, don't hook up with a real estate. That is a way. Connect with a realtor or get pre-approved first and then um, then find a realtor uh, or vice versa. Is it better to do the pre-approval process first, just to know kind of what you're getting into, what you're, what's available to you, so you don't go look at houses that are outside of your budget? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you you want to be pre-qualified, pre-approved before you go out and start looking at homes, um, just so that you have an idea of what a monthly payment's going to look like, and so you can make sure that it fits your 
fits your budget. Uh, like Jen said a couple uh, a little bit ago, that oftentimes people qualify for more than what they actually want to spend. And the conversation, the most important conversation is what fits your budget. What do you want to spend each month? And you back into a purchase price from there. Yeah, I remember when. So we purchased our house in uh, 2012, uh, May of 2012, and I was working at uh, Um Bank. Um, is a personal banker and I was working with the, uh, uh, loan officer there and asked him, you know, how much could we buy? He said, they're going to approve you for more than you can afford. <laughs> it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, so yeah, sticking to the budget, obviously. So getting, getting, figuring out what is a reasonable monthly amount of a mortgage payment. And so, before we dive into that, um, maybe talk about the pieces of a mortgage payment, what all is included, principal, interest, and then talk a little bit about escrow, because I remember escrow, when they said escrow, that was like a foreign concept. Um, and then uh, um, in some cases, maybe mortgage insurance, PMI. Um, Jen, do you want to do you want to take that one? Sure. So a mortgage payment is made up of principal and interest payment your home insurance, property taxes, and if they are not putting 20% down or doing an alternative type of mortgage insurance, then it would be a monthly mortgage insurance payment. <clears throat> uh, people also will have homeowners insurance dues as well, something that we look at when qualifying, but they're not necessarily included in the payment. Those are paid separately, so those are sort of the pieces. There are different types of mortgage insurance. Taylor, you want to kind of talk about the different types? Yeah, definitely. So like Jen said, you have monthly PMI. Um, typically, you're going to see a borrower do monthly PMI, one on FHA loans, and then two, if they're putting, you know, five or 3% down, those are going to be, that's going to be pretty much their only option. Uh, however, if a borrower gets closer to a 10% down payment, 15%, it does open up other areas for single premiums, which is a one-time charge of PMI that you buy out right at closing and then also financed PMI, which is the same thing as single premium, you pay that premium up front, but then you roll it into the loan amount and you pay it over the life of the loan. Um, definitely something important to talk to your mortgage banker about uh, or your loan officer about and see what options are available to you. Uh, doesn't always fit, doesn't always make sense. Uh, mortgage insurance is gonna be based off of debt to income ratio, credit scores, um, lots of different factors that are gonna be different for each individual borrower. And Talk a little bit about what mortgage insurance covers, because I, I think some people think, oh, it's it's insurance for my mortgage and it's 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 not for your benefit. It's not for the borrower's benefit. Yeah, definitely. So mortgage insurance came about when uh, uh, mortgage companies went from requiring 20 percent down and also when they invented the 30 year fixed mortgage. Um, it does not insure the buyer. You pay it, but it insures the lender. Um, and essentially, depending upon how much you're putting down, how much coverage you need, that mortgage insurance company will reimburse that lender a portion of that uh, loan amount uh, if you were to ever default on the loan. So it does nothing to reduce your principal or um, it doesn't really benefit you. It just allows you to purchase a home when you don't have the adequate down payment to avoid it. Yeah. I mean, so you mentioned a comment of it doesn't benefit you. And that's kind of it's a kind of a catchy point with me because mortgage insurance gets a really bad name. Um, and I think it does because early on mortgage insurance was pretty expensive, but today it's very reasonable. Um, and 
a common misconception is borrowers need to be putting down 20% down payments. And that's just not the case. If a first time home buyer only has 5% or 3% to put down, you know, let's look at that option. Let's look at the PMI and the difference in monthly payment versus the 3% versus the 8% or 10% or whatever down payment, that monthly payment's not going to change that much because you're amortizing it over 30 years. I feel like I saw something a while back that if your loan to value was over 90%, you kept PMI on the entire term of the loan. Is that correct? Did that? No. no. If it's an FHA? Yes. That's where you have PMI for the life of the loan. Yeah. But if it's... Lower Unless than you do 90. a 15 year, but yes. True. Touche. So, um, and then again, you could even refinance later to, to get rid of the PMI if you were above 90% loan to value, right? To Correct. eliminate the PMI once you got below the 90% threshold. Um, you're saying 90, but you're looking for that 80% threshold. So PMI right. on, a, on a conventional mortgage naturally drops off the loan when the loan balance reaches 78% of the original purchase price or value, whichever is less. Yep. You can request it to be dropped off at 80%. Oftentimes the loan servicer is going to require you to do an appraisal at your cost uh, to verify that value. Yep. Uh, but in the case of the FHA, where it's above 90% loan to value, it's on for the life of the loan, you get below 90%, you could refinance. I don't know. We're, we're kind of getting the weeds on this, but <laughs> you, usually people would want to, you know, potentially refinance out of an FHA loan anyway, Kyle, if they have the ability to, we'll start people in an FHA loan and usually they'll start there because of past credit history most of the time. And our goal is to work on their credit, get them in the house, work on the credit, hopefully refinance them into a conventional loan at some point. So th this is a, a good good point to talk about the the different types of mortgage loans that are out there. So there's the FHA. Um, I guess uh, do you want to start with conventional and talk about conventional and then then go uh, FHA and and all the additional that are out there. Maybe take turns. I've got kids, so take turns. <laughs> That's go ahead, Taylor. Go first. All right. So you obviously have conventional mortgages, um, 10, 15, 30 year fix and I don't know. There's talks in Washington about a possible 40 year, maybe someday. So, um, but uh, anyway, uh, you, uh, those loan terms, you also have on the conventional side, you have arms. Uh, I don't know if you, on this podcast, if you're wanting to get into adjustable rate mortgages, um, but essentially you could have a three, five, seven, or 10 um, to where the interest rate is fixed for that initial period, that three, five, seven, or 10. And then after that, it becomes an adjustable rate uh, yearly on the anniversary. And Jen, I'll let you take the next one. So we already kind of touched on FHA. FHA is a great product. Sometimes it gets a, a bad rap. Certainly in our competitive market right now, it is hard to get a FHA buyer under contract, typically because usually those buyers have had some credit challenges in the past. Um, a lot of times we see that a lot with clients who've gone through a divorce. Usually there's someone who should have been paying something and didn't, and uh, the other person isn't necessarily at fault or wasn't even aware it was happening. And so a lot of times that's what we have to put those clients um, in that product. Uh, lower credit scores allowed, higher debt to income ratios. So if I have a newly, a recent graduate who's got a bunch of student loans, maybe a car payment, but 
hasn't started increasing their earnings yet. A lot of times we'll have to qualify them on an FHA loan because they have a little bit more debt load. Um, I want to say our our minimum score right now is maybe 600 on those. We used to go down to 580, but raised it with COVID guidelines, but still that's a pretty low credit score to be able to still get into a home. Uh, they have a few different guidelines on appraisals, just in that the, the house really needs to be in good condition when the appraiser goes out. Uh, otherwise the seller may have to repair a few items like wood rot or paint, really the two most common we see in Kansas, Missouri. <clears throat> Another reason that those offers are having trouble getting accepted right now in this crazy market that we're in. So that's kind of FHA. We already touched on the mortgage piece, so. And so FHA, we said minimum three and a half down, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct, correct. And most common is a 30-year term. We, we have a 15-year term, but most of the time, those buyers can't afford that payment. And a lot of uh first time home buyers go that route um right kind of mentioned yeah that if that are conventional i mean i'm sure taylor does a lot of the conventional three percent down first time buyers as well if you make under a certain income depending on where you live you can actually do three percent down with conventional and then fha is three and a half percent fha buyers are really most of the time lower credit score individuals or higher debt to income individuals if you've got great credit and make enough income, we're going to put you in a conventional loan 95% of the time because it is typically a better loan for you. When she says better loan, she's talking, it's going to be better mortgage insurance wise monthly, better interest rates, um, or maybe not always a better interest rate, uh, when, but it's going to be mortgage insurance is the most important piece. Yeah. And less expensive because FHA has a fee that goes directly to FHA that's rolled on your loan. It makes it a little bit more expensive loan option. And then of course the mortgage insurance piece, if someone's planning on staying in the house and maybe they have a slightly higher rate with a conventional loan, but the ability for that mortgage insurance to fall off, we would take a look at long-term, which loan might be better because of the mortgage insurance piece and an FHA loan requiring you to refinance out of it versus eventually having the ability to request it be removed. And just remind folks, FHA stands for Federal uh, Housing Administration. Government. Uh, and so uh, conventional, you said you can do as, as low as 3% down? You can, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was thinking it was five. Awesome. If you're not a first time home buyer, so you, uh, there are two programs on conventional 3% that you don't have to be first time home buyers, but you have to income qualify. And then there are 3% down options as long as one of the borrower on the loan is a first time home buyer, but with no income guideline. Um, and both of those to avoid PMI, 80% uh, is your loan to value that you're looking for. Correct. Right. Um, as you mentioned, you can request before, you can request from your uh, loan servicer to remove PMI before you get to the 80% loan to value, but then after 80%, they're supposed to remove that. Right. So at 78%, the PMI naturally drops off. Um, and that's 78% of the uh, original purchase price or value, whichever is less. Um, and then at eight, when you believe that you're at 80%, maybe you've made a principal reduction, maybe your home's appreciated, maybe you've had a big remodel project and you believe your home is worth more. And so you're at that 80%, you can request it at that time. Go back to ARM real quick. Mm -hmm. is, is there, 
really much of a scenario where you would request an where you would put anyone in an arm right now with current interest rates? No, I mean, I, Jen, maybe you're seeing it, but as far as arm pricing goes, the fixed rate mortgage fixed rates are so low that uh, arms just aren't competitive. Why? Yeah. Why get an arm when you can lock something in? Arms were more popular when you had rates in the sixes and sevens and eights. You know, when I first started in this industry, rates were much much higher than they are the last you know, handful of years, that's when it becomes relevant. And other times you might review it as if you, you have a client, you know, is only going to be in the house for a short time, you know, so like, let's just say rates jump up to 5% next year. And we have a client who knows they're only being relocated here for two years. It's a very short time. They're going to keep this home. We may look at an arm as an option, but otherwise it's not a common product when rates are low. Yeah. And which way do you think rates are going to go right now? Uh, it, it's yeah, we've, we've been sitting on these rates for a while. And um, I had somebody who was talking to me about, you know, three and a half. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little high compared to the current environment, I guess. Right. But uh, we're kind of splitting hairs. Cause I, when I was back in the bank, uh, we were refinancing folks that were six, seven, eight percent. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> My first house was at eight and a half on an arm product way back yeah. in the day. So, and that was good. That was like, my parents had 12 or something at that time. So these are great rates. They're historically low rates. Even if they Locked go up, up, even if they're in the low fours, it is still a historically low rate. And you have the opportunity to buy an asset that appreciates while you're paying the balance down. It, it makes sense to buy real estate regardless of what the rates do. But yes, they're predicting they're going to go up this year and into next year. Totally. Um, what about VA loans? Do you guys do VA? We and do. Tell us a little bit about those. You want to go or you want me to? Go ahead, Taylor. Okay. VA loan. It's one of the best loans on the in the business. So it is a benefit to the veteran. Um, it does get kind of a bad name uh, in the real estate community just uh, because... I don't know. Realtors think that it's not a great Because they, they don't understand it. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, but we push it. Um, so if, if a borrower qualifies for it, if they if they have their eligibility, um, there is no better product for them. They're going to get a 100% loan, no down payment required, very low interest rate, no PMI. Um, you know, it's all around just a great product. And different from, and I don't, I, I'm going to I don't want to word this bad, but so different from other loan products to where underwriters maybe sometimes look for things that are wrong with the file or maybe, you know, what's going to slow it down. Underwriters look for on VA loans as, you know, as a benefit. So like, how can we make this work? So, and the VA is very uh, supportive of that. Um, that product. Okay. What do those, those interest rates look like in comparison to if you were to go conventional or FHA, are they going to be similar? Yeah. So if a, if, so say a veteran has like a 600 FICO, they're going to see competitive interest rates, just like a borrower on a conventional mortgage that had, you know, a higher credit score, you know, maybe in the 700 somewhere. So you're not going to see as big of hits uh, on VA loans as you would with, uh, as far as credit scores go. Okay. So 0% down, um, hundred percent financed. Uh, my problem with that is if they have zero to put down, my guess is, there's potential that they have nothing saved and I'm um, 
you know, when you buy a house, stuff's going to happen, stuff's going to break. Um, and, and so I, I, when I, when I'm working with folks, I always want them to have three to six months worth of expenses saved up if they're talking about buying a house, um, because stuff happens and it's, you're not renting anymore. Your landlord's not in charge of taking care of it. It's, it's on you. Your AC unit goes out, your HVAC system goes out. Uh, that's on you. Um, but, uh, is it, there's a funding fee, right? What does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so it depends on if it's your first use or if it's uh, the second time you've used your VA loan, but it is a percentage of the loan amount, but it also can be waived. So uh, if the veteran has a disability, and I believe, Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, if it's 10% disability, the VA funding fee is waived, uh, but there's a certain percentage and um, then they don't have to pay that funding. Well, uh, future president, representative from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, he's definitely got a disability. Well, he, he would not say that, but uh, mm -hmm. big fan of him. Um, you familiar with him? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Navy SEAL, eye patch, good, mm -hmm. good dude. Uh, so we could, we could get that wave for him. What are some others I saw USDA? Sure. Yep. So USDA is a rural loan. Um, if you are, so think someone who wants to live on some land or out in the country, uh, there's actually a map that people can go to and type in an address and search it. But there's quite a few areas, even in Johnson County, Kansas. So like we're in Olathe and where we are, we would qualify for a USDA loan. And yet I'm, you know, 10 minutes from K-10 Highway to get back into town. Um, it just offers no money down, same as a VA loan. <clears throat> there are some income restrictions on this product. You cannot make over a certain amount, and there's a weird formula to calculate it based on the number of people in the household, et cetera. But uh, it's a good option for people that, you know, work hard, have trouble saving because of the the income that they have and the other bills that they have, allows them to get in the house with no money down. It also is a very competitive interest rate. There is mortgage insurance on it, but it's pretty inexpensive mortgage insurance comparatively. Um, and it is, it's a good loan option. I mean, I'm with you, Kyle. I want people to have savings as well, but most people, and I've been doing this for a very long time. So I've seen lots of people's money, many people, the money they have is equity in their house. And so I'd rather see them purchase something that's going to appreciate with no money down than continue to rent. Like we have a wonderful client right now. She's been renting for 22 years. And if I show her how much she spent in rent, it's astronomical. And she's going to oh, yeah. use no money down programs, which, you know, I would love for her to have reserves, but she doesn't. But I really would love more for her to stop throwing money away to rent. So, yeah, it's no, she's working with the wrong advisor then. She, she doesn't have an advisor. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I've got a handful of clients who, um, you know, they rent and it's a good short-term plan, but long-term I'm with you. I want, I want people to have a house because eventually that mortgage goes away. Um, whereas renting, you're continue, continually making payments, your rent's going up and you're not building up any equity. You're not, it's, it's buying a house is a forced savings plan. Um, and so, no, I'm, I'm a big, big advocate of home ownership. Um, I just want to make sure that we, we get people, um, uh, where it's a blessing and not a curse. Um, so sure. yeah, you can pay your own mortgage or you can pay someone else's mortgage. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, you did bring up kind of an interesting point. So um, purchasing a house while you currently own and all your equity, all, all the, all your equity is built into your current house and not having the adequate down payment to fund the down payment for the new house. I ran into the situation earlier, um, about a month or two ago with someone and, uh, we were looking at options. We ended up doing a, a 401k loan. Um, but, uh, one of the ideas I was throwing out there was a, a home equity line of credit. Is that, is that something that, uh, I guess, how would you advise somebody on that as far as funding the down payment on the new house when they don't have the funds available, but they have a lot of equity built into their house? Definitely. Yeah. We have options. Uh, Jen, you want to talk about bridge loans or HELOCs or, I mean, where do you want to take this one? It's up to you, man. I'll let you run the show. Okay. All right. Um, so normally in a normal purchasing environment, buyers can submit contingent offers to where the, uh, their offer is contingent upon their current home selling. They close on the same day. Um, the money's transferred over and, and they use those funds to purchase their new home. Easy peasy. Uh, in today's environment with such a shortage, sellers can pick and choose who is going to buy their home and they're just not going to accept contingent offers for the most part uh, in this highly competitive market. So there are options out there. You've got bridge loans. Uh, to where you're able to pull some of your equity out. And then when you sell your current home, um, you pay off the bridge loan. And the bridge loan typically pays off the current mortgage and then allows you to pull out your equity up to 80% total loan to value. And, and then it's an interest only payment for 12 months uh, while you sell that house. Um, another option would be a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan. A line of credit is going to be a variable interest rate and a home equity loan would be a fixed term rate. But essentially you're just pulling your money out uh, you're pulling your current equity out of your home. That gets tricky. Make sure you talk to your loan advisor before you go and um, put your house on the market. Uh, if you want to apply for a HELOC loan, they're probably going to give you a couple tips on that. So, Okay. I had uh, uh, additional information I need to throw in there. It was a new build. Oh, so were, so were they trying to qualify for both mortgages at the same time? Uh, so they were trying to sell their house, um, but they were under contract on a new house and it was a new build. Um, and Typically builders though, as long as you've got the non-refundable deposit to give them, they don't care if your offer is contingent because if you don't close, they're keeping your. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was the issue. They weren't willing to push back closing date. Oh. Um, so yeah, we, we chat later. Uh, any others you want to talk about construction loan? Is that, uh, well, I can talk about a renovation loan that we are doing a lot of. Um, it's a pretty popular product. If you want me to talk about that. Sure. Why not? Okay. So think about you buy ugly houses or a house that just isn't perfect that may be sitting on the market. It's not really happening right now, but it does happen. <clears throat> or the client loves the house, loves everything about it, but hates the kitchen and just wants to redo it and needs 50 grand to redo it. So the renovation product we have allows them to purchase the house and finance in the cost of the rental they want to do at the time of acquisition. So for example, let's say you were buying a $200,000 house and the client was putting down 5%. Okay. So that's easy math. 
but let's say they want to add in $100,000 in reno, right? So 200 purchase price plus 100 renovation, they still only need 5% down, but it's 5% of that total. So they can get into that property with just a $15,000 down payment and roll in that work that they want done. It's pretty amazing, actually. So people don't have to use their own money. They can finance it at an extremely historically cheap rate. Um, there's some caveats to the program. There's a slightly higher credit score. People need to qualify. It usually carries a slightly higher interest rate, maybe a quarter higher than what you would get if you were just purchasing. Um, and most of the work has to be managed by an actual contractor. So we need bids and stuff up front. It takes a little bit longer to close, but it's a great way for people to uh, buy a house that isn't exactly what they want, but they want that neighborhood and not need a ton of cash to uh, do that work. It also works for people in their existing homes. So like we did a lot of these last year, everyone's home in COVID deciding they don't love things in their house. They want to put in a patio and a pool. They want to, um, you know, add a bedroom or redo again, a kitchen. We can refinance their existing mortgage, adding in those renovation costs into one loan. And again, they don't have to come in with a bunch of money out of pocket to do that. So it's become a very popular product. If real estate agents used it more, um, it would open up some opportunities for some of their clients who, you know, have a specific house in mind and sometimes can't see past the visual of the way the house is right now. Because a lot of times fixes are, you know, 10, 15 grand and yeah. exactly what you want but the clients can't see that slash don't have the funds for it. So. Okay. So this is how you get your chip and Jojo house. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Your, your fixer upper. Yep. Is, is, is that what they're using? You think? That's what a lot of them are using. You know, Probably. we also have that product for investors. So, um, we work with, I don't know, we, we have a pretty good amount of investors. Uh, in our database and they will use this product because you can finance in the reno there and investors typically want to have, um, you know, don't want to liquidate themselves. They have more money so they can potentially buy other properties or invest in other things. And so we, you know, we did a good amount of these last year, especially, uh, which is why it's so hard to get contractors because everybody was doing stuff to their houses last year, but that product only requires 15% down. So an investor can buy a property and roll in the cost of any work they want to do to it to get it either ready to flip or ready to rent. And that's a pretty low buy-in for an investor. Okay. Okay. Kind of going into how much can I borrow slash how much can I really afford? Um, and then things to kind of consider about your financial situation or what's going to impact your ability to get a mortgage. Do you guys want to dive into that real quick? No two borrowers. Yeah. I mean, no two borrowers are, are created equal. So just because your friend uh, qualified with a 50% debt to income ratio does not mean that you're going to qualify with a 50% debt to income ratio. There's a lot of other factors uh, that could go into it. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Conventional mortgages have a have a hard stop at 50% DTI, debt to income ratio. Uh, FHA loans, uh, they are more flexible. So you can go above that number if you need to. 
important piece to keep in mind is when we're qualifying you for a loan, we're using your gross monthly income. We are not using what you take home. Um, so if you're spending 50% of uh, what you make on your mortgage payment, something to think about, you know, do you have enough money left over for groceries, living life in general? So beans and rice, rice and beans. Yeah. So one of my, one of my lines that I say to borrowers all the time is I do not want you to marry your mortgage payment. Um, that's how you get yourself in trouble. Sounds good. Um, so let's talk about the steps to the mortgage process. So there's, I, you know, you go out there and Google it and, you know, everyone has the different number of steps, you know, some it's eight, six, 10, you know, whoever, what would you say are the steps involved? How many steps are there that you see and what are those steps and what, what, what do those various things include? Um, I think the pre-approval is the first kind of the first step. Right. And so I guess talk about that and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Let me do this one, Taylor. Yeah. Okay. So we, and everybody does this a little differently and this is why it's really important to use a local knowledgeable person like Taylor or myself, um, because not all pre-approvals are created equal. So that's where we'd start. If you were to call me today, Kyle, we would have you complete an application. It takes about 10 minutes to do it. There's a variety of different ways we can send it to you. Um, once you're done, myself or someone on our team will pull it in and review it. And we are looking at the income you provided, running a credit report, taking a look at any assets, assets that you referenced, and just sort of the snapshot of your financial picture, okay? We can issue a pre-approval usually on, call it 90% of the people that apply that have cut and dry information. So if you are a W-2 person and your salary is $75,000 um, and you have a bank account with $25,000 in it, there's not a lot of extra digging that we have to do there. So we can issue a pre-approval pretty quick. If you tell me you're self-employed and you own four rental properties and you have some farm ground that you make some income on, we are going to dig deeper and request a bunch of things and review those in advance because it gets way more complicated. And, you know, often what people think they make and what they actually make on an income document are two very different things. So my team requests documents on 100% of the files that are uh applications we receive. So if you apply, you immediately get a homework list. Once you complete that application, it'll give you a checklist as soon as you hit send. Um, you can upload those documents then at that time. And if you do, we're going to review those at the same time we're pulling your credit. If you don't, we are going to lightly stalk you until you send us those items. I want to look at all of those things. If I'm putting my name on this letter saying that we're going to close this loan quickly and without any problems, I want to look at those things and make sure they match what the client applied with. So, um, you know, the initial pre-approval we can do in 30 minutes but we dive deeper and do what's called a certified approval, which is where we are actually physically reviewing your pay stub, your W-2s, your tax returns, and then can issue a more serious letter uh, to the agents that just say, hey, we have had an underwriter look at this. We're very confident there will not be any issues. If you need to close very quickly, you can. Um, some of the clients, 
submit stuff immediately. And as Taylor, I'm sure can attest to, sometimes we have to track people down. It's not their favorite thing, gathering documents. They definitely love to go and look at the home, but they don't want to send us their 30 page tax return um, or their bank statement in a PDF. They like to send us pictures of it from their phone. So um, that part's not as fun, but if they do that up front, it eliminates so much stress in the long run. And I cannot tell you how many calls we get every week trying to fix a loan that another lender approved that all they did was take a look at the information these people filled out online and run credit and say, yep, they're good. I could tell you probably, and Taylor, you can disagree with me. I would say probably 70% of people do not know what they actually make, what they have in the bank, what debt they have that they're close, some of them, some of them are not, but it is very rarely 100% accurate. So it's our job to verify that and make sure before we send them into a house that they find that they love and want to live in, that this is really an approval. So the pre-approval process, you know, can be done in 30 minutes, but ideally it's a deep dive like I'm talking about. And then from there, we send people out back to the real estate agent to go find a house. And really, we're just kind of in the background, checking in, making sure if they need anything. You know, sometimes we'll run specific numbers on a house if a client likes it. But until they find a house, that's really the next step before Taylor and I can jump back in. Sorry, I just got gas bombed by Charlie. <laughs> He's under my feet here. I assume uh, that's your dog. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Gibson, named after the uh, NBC Nightly News anchor um, when I was in college. Uh, yeah, um, so I get pre-approved for let's just say two fifty. What should I go shop for? right now? <laughs> should I shop for two fifty or should I start lower, like two twenty five? You should shop at one ninety if you're approved at two fifty right now. Uh, would you agree, Taylor? To not 190 to 210. Oh. Really, I mean, it's, it's if you're buying in Johnson County, that's yeah, it's a different market now, Kyle, than probably ever. So, what we answer now would be different than what we would have answered a year and a half ago. So, under a normal circumstance, I guess, is 250 your max, or is 250 what you and the lender agreed upon as your max, and that you that you really can qualify for 250? So, so tell me what the pre approval means. I'm pre-approved for X amount of dollars or, or how's that going to work? I mean, I have do not give a borrower a pre-approval letter letter for their absolute mask, mat, uh, for their absolute max, unless they beg me for it. Um, and they have no other choice. Um, because you, there are so many very taxes, insurance, HOA dues. I mean, all of these things can all of a sudden change your debt to income ratio to where now you no longer qualify. So just like Jen said earlier, my pre-approval letter, the piece of paper that's written on is worth something. You're going to close just like with Jen. Um, you know, some of these other players, especially some of the big national names that you see on TV all the time, that pre-approval is worth the piece of paper it's written on, if nothing. So um, it really depends, man. I mean. Okay. Okay. How, how long are those? Say that again. I just asked Jen. I mean, is, uh, you agree with that? Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, and Kyle... Like we talked about earlier, my, the most important question I ask is what is a comfortable monthly payment for you? Not what price you want to buy in. And a lot of yep. times I can tell really early if we're going to have to, 
um, reset someone's expectations. So I'll have people say, I'm looking at $300,000 houses. I have 5% to put down and I'd like a $1,200 a month payment. I'm sorry, that's just not going to happen. We either need to reevaluate your budget or we need to reassess the houses that you're, you're looking at. So we may tell them what their max approval is, but I'm going to give them price points based on the comfortable payment they've given me. And then it's up to them to decide, you know, do they want to stop going out to eat and maybe buy a little bit more house knowing they're going to start a family or do they want to go on three vacations a year? And so they're going to dial their home search back a little bit because they don't want to be trapped in their house or married to the mortgage like Taylor said. The most important yeah. question is what their life is going to look like. When we bought our house, we knew we were living here forever. This is where we're raising kids. So we definitely, um, the budget was was pushed. And I assured my husband we wouldn't travel as much, although that was a lie. <laughs> um, but, you know, like this was our forever home. Our last house, we knew it wasn't. And we had some really significant saving things that we wanted to do, funding colleges for the boys and buying some investment properties. And so we we didn't buy as much as we could afford at that point because we had other places we want the money to go. If you have a if you send us a client that has a bunch of debt, you know, I'm going to chat with them about like, let's get in a home because I believe in home ownership at such a high level. But maybe let's buy a little less so that we can apply some of that extra money that we have to get rid of some of this substantial debt that they have. Yeah. What, when are those 40 year mortgages kicking in? I hope never. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even believe that they're discussing it, although I'm not getting yeah, any politics in this call, but wow. I, I did 40 year mortgages back in the day, not many, but when I started, yeah. they were a thing as were, um, God, world savings bank had those negative amortization loans. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. mini yeah. option arm. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, Five options. But I, I, I I think to your point, though, I you make a good point, and I want people to hear that is if you're a first time home buyer, chances are this is not your forever home. No, there's a house on every corner, and this you know first time home buyer, this is probably not going to be your forever home. So um, you don't have to max out the budget, and I mean because it's going to take away from some of the other goals of saving, getting rid of debt, and, and those sorts of things. So keeping that in mind. Um, I think is important. So what would be, uh, the next step after pre-approval Yep. or after contract? So after pre-approval, you're out shopping, get a contract. Once you get a contract, then the agent is, uh, sending that over to us. That's kind of like the keys to the cart. That's what gets us started. Um, that's when we're talking interest rate lock-in, you know, you don't, uh, lock-in shops aren't typical today. Uh, I don't offer any lock-in shops. I don't know if fairway does. Um, but Essentially, you're not locking in an interest rate until you're under contract. And then from there, we're starting the actual processing and underwriting piece. We're updating any documents that have expired. Uh, we're getting everything submitted uh, to the underwriter for them to look at um, and ordering the appraisal, which in this environment right now, uh, you want to get that ordered as fast as you can. Um, they do not work for the lender. Uh, they're, they, they are employed on their own. And... Um, so they, they, we definitely can't tell them what to do and how fast to do it. So they're, they're taking longer. Um, but then once the appraisal comes in, the underwriter reviews that. As long as everything checks out, then uh, you get your clear to close and you're off to the closing table and, and finalizing numbers. How long, um, or does it matter, how long is the 
pre-approval good for? Credit report's good for 120 days per Fannie and Freddie. Um, you know what? I probably shouldn't say this on air, but as long as a borrower's <laughs> got a great credit score, I'm not repulling your credit uh, if you go past that 120 days. Uh, once you're under contract, I'll repull your credit as long as you're telling me you haven't gone out, racked up a bunch of debt, or just stopped paying your bills. That's what uh, my mortgage loan officer told me. He said, uh, wait to go max out the Home Depot card before we until we close this loan. Oh, that's once you're under contract. Yeah, that's once you're under contract. So like Jen was talking about earlier, not, loan officers aren't created the same. And what I think makes her and I so good at what we do is we have a process. Every borrower that comes to our desk is going to get the exact same treatment, the exact same process through the whole way. It helps us, uh, one, keep track of how many loans that we have going but also makes it a little more efficient, easier for you. Uh, you understand each piece of the process. My cell phone's always open to ask questions, but we send out a 10 commandments at the very beginning. You know, Don't do these 10 things. Don't quit your job. Don't go rack up a bunch of debt. Don't go buy a car, You know, things like that, um, that you would be surprised. People uh, just don't know. Do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it anyway. <laughs> the cart before the horse. Yeah. Um, we've got to furnish this house. We, we had a really, S-H-I-T-T-Y process when we did it. Um, so our appraisal got flagged right at closing and we didn't think we were going to be able to close. Uh, apparently the guy lost his license I, or that's what we were told. Um, so we were like freaking out and um, yeah. It was, eh. That sort of thing doesn't really happen anymore. I, I, it must have been a couple years since you bought a house. Uh, 2012. Yeah, that I mean, there's too many processes in place for appraisers, and again, unless you're working with, you know, a, a lender that's working out of their car, uh, that just that wouldn't happen anymore. Yeah. So, so then uh, let's talk about. So you go through the underwriting process. You've got the Ten Commandments of don't do this during during that process. Um, and then we go to loan closing. And talk about how closing works and maybe closing costs. Uh, when I was looking at what's included in closing costs, it looks like there could be a slew of things included. What's typical, I guess? And so maybe talk about that closing process. Again, our our, our real estate agent, was, realtor, was not at closing with us. Um, <laughs> it was just a interesting process. <laughs> That's typical now because of COVID. I mean, I think yeah. title companies have opened that back up to eight where agents and loan officers can go. So yeah. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. It's not what Tony Long would do. Well, he's there every time. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Jen, how, yeah, how sure. does the process work? So um, our goal on, on my team, we have a goal to be clear to close at least a week prior to closing. My team is bonus based on certain milestones they need to hit. So if we have a 30-day contract, they need to be done a week early. Okay. And Taylor and our business, it's really business day. So you may give us the 30-day contract, but we essentially start with 22 days right there because, of course, he and I may be working on the weekends, but that doesn't mean that title companies are open <clears throat> or underwriters are, you know, going to pick up a call if you, if you reach out to them. But so my team's goal is to be done a week early. Um, we also have to have figures, final exact numbers to the client 48 hours in advance. If we don't, um, um, cracking skulls 
Uh, and I don't care who's who we're waiting on. We're going to drive over to someone's office to get it because it doesn't matter how well the entire transaction went. The end is when people are the most stressed. They want to know exactly what they need to bring. We have given them probably five updates at this point of numbers, getting closer and closer as we dial into things. Once they get their home insurance, once we have the appraisal back, once we have the title cost back but they still really want to know that exact number. So a week in advance, clear to close, 48 hours in advance, they should have that number for closing. Uh, and then an explanation of how the funds are delivered, which is either cashier's check or uh, lots of them will wire, choose to wire the funds. COVID made it a little bit harder because it wasn't like you could just walk into a bank anymore. Some banks you had to make appointments to get in there and get a check. A lot of people seem to have just online banks now and their process isn't as easy to wire. Sometimes they won't wire, you have to request a check in advance. So of course we're having these conversations up front uh, and then explaining uh, about signing in person. We've got the ability to sign 95% of our documents uh, electronically, which is wonderful. So we will ask people up front, do they wanna sign most of it at the title company or would they rather sign most of it on their computer in the morning and then hop over to the title company to just sign the call it 10 documents in person. Uh, Fairway has a closing team. So if they choose to close electronically, they will get a link for the documents. Someone from our team will call them in the morning, walk them through how to sign, walk them through what they're signing, and then they can be in and out of title fast. Uh, especially during COVID that was relevant because people didn't want to be in front of people. And of course the title companies were, you know, they had outside rooms where people were signing. Um, it also makes it easier for people that have a moving truck in their driveway. They don't have to sit at a title company for an hour and sign paperwork. So, um, but some people still like to touch all the paper and all that. So we can do it either way. Uh, like I said, it usually, if it's a closing with Tony and I'm there as well, it's an hour and 15 minutes because both of us talk too much, uh, but it should be 30, 40 minutes in and out. Um, and then usually we do what's called table fund, meaning as soon as the closer has all the documents signed, they have our authorization to fund already. So the clients can walk away with their keys right there. That wasn't always the case at other places I worked. It was very frustrating. People would have to wait sometimes for hours for us to give authorization. But here they literally sign everything. Closers or the agent hand them the keys if they are there and they move into the house. That reminds me. Our closing, we had to push back. We had to do up an agreement with the seller that we would rent the house for like six days because we had closing issues. <laughs> uh, that was that was a headache. Um, you want a closing cost? Or you want to take the closing cost portion? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, to hit on close. Well, go ahead, Kyle. I, I just remember at closing the one to two inches of documents that we had to sign and then seeing the number on the dotted line. And I, um, yeah, about had a panic attack. Um, but wires, wire fraud, Tony, we were talking about that on the last podcast about um, a lot of people are uh, having some issues with um, ID theft and, and wire fraud, uh -huh. getting messages um, claiming to be the title company and having them wire. Are you guys experiencing any issues like that? Or? And that's a conversation we have. If a borrower is going to wire their funds, uh, we, 
we put them in touch directly with the title company uh, so that there nothing's being forwarded from us. Uh, and it's very important for that to happen. Just you don't want to get any fake emails or anything. So okay. we have we have heard some horror stories. Title sends the wiring instructions securely, Kyle. So they come directly from title and they have are usually password protected. So yep. good deal. Yeah, I think you had asked about closing costs. You know, I mean, closing costs are going to vary by lender. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't set an exact amount on closing costs, but, uh, you know, if you're paying $3,000 in fees, uh, that includes lender fees, title fees, um, you're probably going to be, that's pretty average for closing costs. I would say most lenders, and Jen, you can disagree, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, um, most lenders in Kansas City, their fees are very similar uh, within, within a few hundred dollars. Yeah. And the third party fees, Kyle, for the most part, the title company fees are going to be the same with everyone. So Correct. people will ask us, oh, I want to see what your fees are compared to another lenders. The only fees that would really differ are some of the ones you had listed, underwriting fee, origination fee, admin fee, and then sometimes the appraisals vary by $50, $75. But title company fees are going to be the same no matter who you use. Um, typically your escrow setup is going to be the same with anybody you use. So you're really just looking for, does this lender have a higher origination fee or do they, you know, are they charging points for the same rate that Taylor or I are giving it, you know, with no points. Do you guys know, uh, Brett Hart from yeah, title? Title. Brett the Hitman Hart. Every time I hear his name, that start, that, that theme music starts playing in my, uh, my head. He was the dude, the, from the title company that uh for our refi so um yeah what was i gonna touch on um yeah i don't know i lost it uh no 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 one, one of the things i really liked about what tony had to say about the two of you is he said give me your best offer and i think a lot of times when someone goes out to shop for a mortgage they get the folks that say if you can find a better offer we'll beat it and i think that's bullshit um, so, uh, I guess maybe talk about that a little bit, you know, why, why aren't you giving us the best offer in the first place? Right. Well, I, I would, and I'm happy to answer that part too, but I would tell you that it's not always the cheapest offer that is the best option. Okay. So, and this is where you have to have a professional who knows what they're doing and is discussing long-term plans is discussing you know, maybe we qualify for an FHA loan and a conventional loan, but here's why I would recommend one over the other. People just throw out fee sheets and they, you know, people say, what's your rate? What's your cost? I don't answer those questions. I need to know more background. I need to know some of the questions that we've already talked about in order to be able to give them the best advice. And sometimes the cheapest rate isn't the best product. So um, I don't like to send those worksheets. And, and typically we work with people that have been referred anyway and come with a level of trust. So they're not just shopping me. The cheapest isn't always the best. And I don't believe mortgage is a commodity, even though people try to treat it that way. That's why my tagline is your mortgage partner for life. It's a relationship. We want to be an advisor to them over the course of their loan. And sometimes that means I'm going to give you a conventional loan with a slightly higher rate than an FHA loan because of what you told me you're going to do long-term in this home. I know that doesn't totally answer your question, but I don't love when people talk about cheapest, lowest. That's not the business we're in. That would be like me saying to you, Kyle, what are your fees? Oh, they're $500 less than, you know, this advisor down the street. 
that doesn't mean that you're not better or don't perhaps offer a better service because you cost a little bit more, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people, you know, naturally they go to their bank that they bank at, they get, um, they get a, a, a pre-approval or, and then, uh, you know, maybe they go see you guys and you come in cheaper and they go back to their bank and there's their bank says, well, we'll beat that. If that happens, they should come back to you with what their bank is, is showing them. For sure. I don't ever want to lose a deal over $200. Absolutely not. Not someone that's been referred. And we will, we will do that all day long. We're always going to, Taylor and I are always going to give you the best offer up front. But if someone undercuts that a little bit, I am happy to match it. Because again, when a client is a client of ours, almost always they come back and almost always they refer. So I would rather cut a fee or ask for permission to reduce something, knowing that this person's going to be in our, you know, database for as long as I do this. Yeah. If you take my loan estimate and you send it over to, you know, whatever Jane Doe mortgage, and they get to see that they know what they have to hit already. So they're going to go and they're going to try to undercut me. And if they beat me by $200 and that looks better to you, I mean, that's, I'm not going to lose a deal over 200 bucks. Um, so, yeah. So, so real quick, just talk about the difference between you and say a traditional bank. <laughs> We're way better. Um, no. Uh, so like I've been on both sides. <laughs> I've been on both sides. So I started my career working for banks. Um, and there's nothing wrong with getting your mortgage loan through a bank. I do know a lot of people that love to have all of their information at the same place. Um, but where I would say where Jen and I differ is, you know, working for a mortgage bank or, you know, a mortgage company, we have a lot more flexibility. Uh, typically banks, typically banks are more conservative, um, and they interpret underwriting guidelines a little differently. Um, and that's it pretty much boils down to interpretation. So um, I think that we can get a little bit more aggressive. We maybe have a few more products available to us, uh, a few more outlets to, to deliver loans to, and um, you know, probably just a little bit more competitive. Uh, but that's not to say that uh, the banks are bad. Uh, there are lots of good banks out there. Yeah. Uh, do you see in the industry um, uh, people changing employers it's kind of one direction they don't we, we see that in the advisory world where you might start at the the retail side of things but you see most people they'll migrate independent you don't see them migrating independent back to the the retail side yeah i mean once you leave a bank so loan officers are considered different uh from a bank versus independent so when you're working for a bank you're registered you're a registered loan officer when you work for an independent bank or an independent mortgage company uh, you're a licensed loan officer. So typically once a loan officer goes through the the work of getting licensed and the education and the continuing ed and all that, they're not going to go backwards. No, you're fine. I would tell you also, Kyle, that especially in this environment, sellers and listing agents don't want bank pre-approvals. So if someone has 10 different offers to choose from and you know one of them is not a bank and it's a well-known lender, they're going to gravitate towards that offer because typically we can close faster. We have more flexibility. You know, bankers do home equity loans, car loans, checking accounts, mortgages. So do you really know anything well? Can you really do anything well if you're doing 12 other things? 
I don't know. I was only in banking for 18 months. I would never go back. I can't even come close to doing the things I, now that I, I couldn't do anything there. My hands were tied. It was very difficult. And I ran the mortgage department and I still couldn't get anything done. So I would tell you that in this environment, having a bank's name on a letter isn't going to help buyers have their offers accepted. Nothing wrong with banks, but they're usually good with managing your money, not necessarily your mortgage. You lasted longer than I did. So I don't think I made quite 18 months at the bank. So <laughs> um, manual underwriting. So I've got, let's say folks on the Dave Ramsey plan out of debt, don't have credit score. You guys do manual underwriting. So we don't do no scores right now. Um, so no scores went away during COVID. Uh, I assume that they, at some point they will come back to where, and maybe Jen does, you know, each lender is different when it comes to no scores. Um, but, you know, using non-traditional credits. So like adding things like your, uh, your insurance, your car, uh, car insurance, cell phone bills, stuff like that to try to, uh, to show that your payment history, but as far as no scores go, we don't, uh, we don't do them, but we do manual underwrites both on conventional and FHA loans. Um, and that typically comes into play. Well, it, it always comes into play when we run all loans through automated underwriting systems. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac each have their own. Um, and if we don't get what we call an automated approval, it has to be downgraded to a manual underwrite. Those restrictions are going to be tighter. You're going to have tighter debt to income ratios. You're going to have, um, you know, just different rules that you have to follow that not necessarily with an automated approval. So we do, um, we don't do no score loans, same as Taylor, but we do have a credit repair department called Credit Tool at Fairway. And so if someone applies and I cannot qualify them right now, either because they have no score or they have a low score, we immediately enroll them in that product. It's free, so there's no reason for people not to do it. And they have an expert liaison that puts together a plan for them to build credit or repair credit walks them through and then keeps me copied on all of the updates. So it helps to create a lot of future homeowners for us. Um, I don't ever have to send someone away and say, sorry, I can't do anything. It's just, sorry, I can't do it right now. Um, but we also do not currently do no scores. Uh, but we can help people build a score you know, relatively, quick, relatively quickly with that program. Okay, awesome. Um, any last things you guys want to add before we, um, kind of wrap up? I mean, I think we, we hit on a lot of stuff here. Um, you know, the, the important piece is get with a mortgage advisor. Um, you know, whether or not that's someone that your agent referred you to, or if you want to pick one of the two of us, uh, we work together a lot, even though we work at separate companies, we're good friends. We talk all the time. Um, you know, we bounce ideas off of each other and it's very important that you get with someone that actually knows what they're doing and has a process uh, just to make that a little bit more uh, enjoyable for you because there is a lot. Agree. Yeah, I would say the same. I would say um, mortgages can, many mortgage people can be very transactional. And I think, you know, for myself and Taylor, it's really important that our clients are successful in the house. It's not that hard for me to get someone into a house, but I really want to make sure that they are successful in a house. I have never had someone call me and tell me they're going to lose their home. We just don't have those kind of calls. And that's because we're discussing their budget. We're discussing saving money. We 
were talking about their debt load and things that not everybody, not every mortgage person is going to do because they don't need to, right? It's extra time. It's extra work. And I'm sure Taylor's done this too, but I've sat and looked at six months worth of bank statements for, for clients and help them categorize their expenses. So they can figure out where their money's going. And I don't need to do that. That's extra time. Um, but bottom line, if they have, very limited funds left in their bank account after purchasing a home. I want to make sure they're going to be okay if they lose their job or get in a car accident or something major happens. I don't want to be up at night worrying that these people are going to be in financial ruin. And I just don't think that there's that many loan officers out there that care at that level. So yeah, that's why I mean, find, find someone not only who's, you know, has a system, but also, cares that, that cares about your long-term success. I agree. Definitely. Uh, Jen, where can everyone find you? Uh, pretty much always at my computer or sporting event. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so loans with Jen is my website. It's also our Facebook and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, all the spots, but if you just go to loans with Jen, you can find me. Sounds good. Uh, Taylor, how about yourself? Yeah, you can find me on the golf course. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> you look like you're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you can find me on all social medias, LinkedIn, Taylor Nedro. My website is taylornedro.com. Uh, I'm assuming you'll link that down below. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the Nedro Mortgage Group. Um, you can find me there. So, Awesome. Well, hey, guys, I really appreciate you hopping on today. Oh, and, TikTok. Uh, we just, I, I was we just started TikTok. We just started a new, we don't have any videos up yet, but uh, my assistant and I, we are going to make some TikToks. Right. Uh, and figure out I'm cutting it. I swear. Everyone yeah. keeps telling me I need to get on there. And I'm like, I don't have time for more stuff. Yeah, so she, she came on board and she's like, man, we got to get this TikTok. So I was like, all right, let's go. I'm with it. If, so. if it generates business, Taylor, I want to know. But otherwise, man, nobody needs to see me making videos. <laughs> hey, that's what you can do with uh, uh, your Dancing with the Stars. Oh, good God. Nobody it's needs to see that. Videos. Oh, whatever. I better get a seat at that table. I'm coming to watch. <laughs> hey, Taylor, you got to buy the table. I'll send you a link, friend. Oh, right? buy the table. Great. Yeah. Here, Taylor, donate 10000 No problem. <laughs> Not 10000 Come on. You can come for $150. And it goes oh. to help. Find a cure for kids with cancer. What could be more important? It's a good cause. Yes. Very good so. cause. All right. Thanks, Kyle. So you guys take care, all right? You too. I appreciate it. See ya. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find more information about our guest, Jen Guile and Taylor Nedro, in the show notes. Remember, like Major Guile. Next up, we're going to be talking about selling a house with our pal Tony Long as he makes a return to the podcast. I promise we'll try not to talk about wrestling too much, but uh, stay tuned. It should be fun. Now, if you'd like more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes, me pointing down. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the new episodes when they drop. And again, if you could do me a favor and leave the podcast a review, that would be appreciated. Remember, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. You can find personal finance from the Hilltop where podcasts are found. 
At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients, so if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on the Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call. No sales pitch, just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I can help. Lastly, the dreadful, scary disclaimer that I was advised by my compliance to read, and that is... Ready for this... Everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and it's not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri but serves clients nationwide where exempt from registration. Pretty good. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.